Well, like I say, we've now reached uh, the end of our series and therefore the end uh, of James's letter. And although it's been a, a relatively short book, uh, only five chapters in total, it, it feels like we've covered quite a lot of ground, doesn't it? Uh, we thought about a wide range of issues as we've gone through from suffering to wisdom, uh, from our words to our wallets. Uh, we thought about some pretty big topics. And through it all, James has been showing us what the life of faith looks like. He's been challenging us to be single-minded, focused as we seek to live it. And I've had a number of conversations with you over the last few weeks uh, along the lines of, oh, James is pretty hard-hitting, isn't he? It's a challenging letter, uh, very practical, straight to it, punchy. And I think with all that in mind, as as we end the series, the danger is what we think we need to do is leave here and sort of spiritually pull our socks up, uh, just kind of get on with the job, grit our teeth as Christians and just try to keep going if we can, try to stay faithful if we can. Uh, That's the danger, but that's not how James ends his letter. Instead, he ends with more of an encouragement for us. A reminder that as we seek to live the Christian life, as we persevere in faith, as we patiently wait for the Lord like we thought about last week, we're not expected to do those things alone. In fact, he says, God has given us two amazing resources, two things that will help us to stay focused in the faith, stay focused as we keep following Jesus. Two things, and the first is that God has given us prayer. It's there in verse 13. Have a look with me. Verse 13, James says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. As you keep going on in the Christian life, James says, whatever you face, whatever situation you find yourself in, You should be people who pray. And we've thought quite a lot, haven't we, about trials and suffering in this letter. James has spoken repeatedly about it. He said back in chapter 1 that we should expect to face trials of many kinds. We've seen those could be trials to do with money, to do with health, to do with our relationships. They could be the kind of trials that come directly as a result of being a Christian because of persecution or oppression. But whatever the trial is, James says the Christian response should be to pray, to talk to God about what you're going through. And I think we hear that and and think, well, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? When times are hard, where better to go than our good and gracious God, the one who is all-powerful, the one who is all-loving, the one who looks down from heaven as we read in, the Psalm, in Psalm 33 and sees our lives, holds them in his hands. Of course we would go to him. That, that seems obvious. But it's not always easy, is it? In fact, I don't know about you, but often suffering is the time when we find it hardest to pray. Maybe that's because we want to try and handle things ourselves. Maybe it's because prayer seems too passive and we just want to get on and fix things. 
Maybe it's because we frankly feel angry with God and we can't bring ourselves to talk to him. Suffering, trouble, can make it hard to pray. But James says, no, in those times, don't turn away from God. Turn to him. Don't try and deal with things by yourself. Instead, remember that God is with you. So talk to him. Is anyone in trouble, says James, well, let them pray. And then at the other end of the scale, he says, is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. It can be hard to pray when we're suffering, but it can be equally hard when life feels good, when things are just going well for us. It can be so easy to forget James's words back in chapter 1, that every good and perfect gift is from above. That every good thing we enjoy, whether it's a beautiful sunset or a delicious meal, whether it's playing with our kids or spending time with our friends, all of those things are generously, graciously given to us by God. And so James says, acknowledge God's hand in your happiness. Praise him for his amazing goodness and generosity that he shows you each and every day. Do you see what James is saying? He's saying God has given you prayer. Whether you're having a good week, talk to God. If you're having a bad week, talk to God. If you've had your best day or your worst day, tell God about it. Thank him. Rejoice with him. Weep with him. Complain to him. Question him. Praise him. Talk to God. In other words, James says the whole of life, every aspect, everything that you do, is to be lived in this constant relationship with God as our Father. A really helpful book uh, that I've found on this uh, is this one. Lots of you have read it. I've spoken to you about it before. Uh, It's called Enjoying God by Tim Chester. Uh, The little bit at the bottom says, Experience the power and love of God in everyday life. It's a really helpful book to to think about what it means to enjoy our relationship with God in the day-to-day in trouble and in happiness, in suffering and in joy. I recommend getting it. It's on the the bookstall at the back. You could grab a copy after the service. But James says, if you want to keep going, if you want to remain focused in the faith, the first thing to do is to remember that whatever situation you're in, you're not in it alone. God is with you. So pray to him. Pray to him when you're in trouble. Pray to him when you're happy. And then, Verse 14, pray to him when you're sick. Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Now, as with a few other parts in James's letter, Uh, It's worth saying that there is some disagreement over what James is talking about in those verses. Uh, The big question people are asking uh, is, what is he talking about when he says, uh, pray for people who are sick? Uh, Is he saying that if you are physically ill, uh, that you should uh, call your elders, they'll come round, uh, pour some oil on your head, pray, and then if they have enough faith, you'll be healed. Is that what James is saying? That that is what some people uh, understand by those verses, a a sort of special 
healing ministry for the elders of a church. I'm not so convinced by that, and I want to briefly show you a few reasons why. Firstly, because physical healing doesn't really fit with the rest of the letter. James has been talking a lot about perseverance and patience in the midst of suffering. It would therefore seem a little bit odd if the reality was you could just call your elders round and they would get rid of your physical suffering with a quick prayer. But, but more than that, James's concern throughout the letter has been for the spiritual health of his readers. I remember what he's warning them about, that big danger of double-mindedness, of wandering from the truth. And so his concern has been for their soul, for their spiritual health. And that's how he ends the letter in those last few verses, verse 19 and 20, with an encouragement to bring people back to the truth, back to the gospel, so that they are saved from judgment and death. His concern is for their spiritual health. And that also fits with the example of Elijah in verse 17. Just look at that there. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. James points to Elijah as an example of the power of prayer. But the interesting thing is the incident in Elijah's life that he focuses on. You see, if James had wanted to make a point about physical healing, the best example he could have chosen would have been the one in 1 Kings 17. There Elijah prays for the Lord to heal a widow's dead son. And amazingly, the prayer is answered. The boy is brought back to life through Elijah's prayer. It's an amazing example of God healing someone in response to the prayers of a righteous man. But that's not the example James picks. Instead, James talks about a time when Israel were becoming increasingly double-minded. A time when they were worshipping idols rather than the Lord. And so to wake them up from their double-mindedness, Elijah prays that the rains would stop. He asks God to send a drought as a sign of his judgment on them. And that's what God does. The rain stopped for three and a half years. And then there's a bit of a showdown between Elijah and the prophets, uh, priests of Baal. Uh, Elijah wins. The people commit themselves to the Lord. And so he prays that the rains would return. And again, God answers his prayer. Uh, now that's, a, I suppose, a bit of a, a, a technical explanation, but you see the point? James picks an example of the power of prayer to heal the spiritually sick, not the physically sick. Uh, so that's the first reason I think it's that. The sec- the, that's the context. Uh, his, his concern is for their spiritual health. The second, much more briefly, is words. Uh, because... If you look at the verses again, you see that halfway through verse 15, James switches from talking about sickness and healing to sins and forgiveness. In fact, even the words that James uses for sickness and healing are used elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about someone's spiritual condition, not just their physical condition. And like I said, these 
These things are disputed. Uh, there are different opinions uh, that are valid, and you might have a disagreement with me. That would be great to chat to you about it after the service. But it does seem to me that James is talking about a person's spiritual condition. And so really importantly, if that is the case, then what does he say our response should be? Well, it's the same thing again, isn't it? Our response should be to pray. If you are someone who is spiritually weak, if you can see that you are drifting into double-mindedness, well, then you should ask the elders to come and pray for you. If you know someone who is wandering from the truth, if you can see that they are increasingly living according to the world's wisdom rather than God's word, the response is to pray. And so can I say, that might be you this evening. Maybe as we've gone through James this term, you felt that you are increasingly drifting away from the truth. Drifting away from the life of faith. Maybe you've drifted so far that you're wondering whether just to give it all up. To stop bothering with Jesus anymore and maybe try a different approach to life. If that's you at the moment, if you're feeling spiritually weak, then James says, ask someone to pray for you. Come and find me. Come and find another elder and ask us to pray with you. Ask us to pray and be confident. Be confident not in me, not in the elder who's praying, but be confident in the God they are praying to. Because as verse 15 says, if we, if we put our faith in God, if we pray and ask for forgiveness, if we confess our sins, he'll answer that prayer. He'll raise you up and restore you. The gospel of grace means that no one has wandered too far for God to forgive them. It means there is always a way back to him. And so James says, whatever is going on in your life, whether it's good or bad, whether it's easy or hard, whether you are strong in the faith or feeling weak, you should pray. Pray because the Christian life is not possible in your own strength. We can't do it alone. We need God and we also need each other, which is the second thing we see in the passage. God has given us prayer, but he has also given us partnership. Did you notice how many times other people are mentioned in those verses? There are the elders in verse 14, each other in verse 16, whoever in verse 20. And the point is that being a Christian really isn't a solo sport. That we've thought and heard already this evening about how important community, family is in the Christian life. Uh, that's easy to forget, living in a an individualistic culture. Uh, but James wants to, wants to remind us that God has saved us into a family. Uh, he's given us the church. Uh, he's given us the people that are sitting either side of you this evening. Brothers and sisters, to walk alongside you and to help you persevere. And so he says, if you're going to keep going, if you're going to stay focused in the faith, you need the church. And the church needs you. 
Firstly, you need the church. Look at verse 16. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. I don't think that means that we need to start confessing all of our sins to everyone in the church. But it is worth asking yourself, isn't it? Do I have one or two Christian friends that I can be completely honest with? Do I have a Christian brother or sister that I know will ask me the difficult questions in life? Are there people that I know I can go to, as James says, and talk about my struggles, confess my sins? Are there people that I know that when I do that will commit to praying for me? Because if we're going to keep going, if you're going to persevere in the faith, we need each other. We need the church. Another really uh, great book, there's just two for you this evening. Another great book that I want to recommend is this one, uh, True Friendship by Vaughan Roberts. Uh, in it, he talks about how the Christian life is a, like a long journey uh, with many challenges along the road. And he says this, we'll often fall and need someone to pick us up. We'll often waver and need another to spur us on. We should therefore take every opportunity to encourage our fellow travellers in the Christian journey. But there will also be a need with, to, be, to be some with whom we have established an especially close bond. Such friendships are important, not first and foremost as a means to emotional fulfilment, but as a matter of wisdom. We need good friends if we're to avoid making a mess of our lives and instead to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. That is true for all of us. Whoever we are, male or female, married or single, extrovert or introvert. And so let me ask you, do you have those kind of friends? Do you have people that you could confess your sins to, as James calls us to in this passage? Friends that will pray for you. And if you don't, then how could you start? Is there someone that you could suggest meeting up with to read the Bible and pray together? Is there someone that you've started to get to know in life group or, or through serving in the youth work that you could build this kind of friendship with? If you can't think of anyone at the moment, then, well, then the first thing to do is to pray about it. To ask God that he would provide people a person, a friend, to walk alongside you. And I know that for some of us, actually this is a painful subject. That loneliness is a struggle, a trial at the moment. And so if that is the case, then please do come and talk to me afterwards. Because it really doesn't matter who you are. You need the church to help you keep going. You need the church to help you stay focused and not to drift. You need the church and the church needs you. Uh, just look down at the end there at verse 19. James says, My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this. Whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over 
a multitude of sins. Like I said at the start, you might have felt as we've gone through James this term that lots of what he said has been pretty hard-hitting, a bit full-on, maybe even a bit over the top. But here in these last few verses, James shows us why he's spoken in such strong terms. He's done so because drifting into double-mindedness or wandering from the truth, as he says in verse 19, is deadly serious. It's deadly serious because wandering away from the truth, in the end, leads to death. We saw back in chapter 1 that, that God's, are the wor- God's words are the words of life, which means walking away from his word, walking away from the gospel, can only lead to death. And so James says this is deadly serious. But the big problem that we have, I guess the reason James needs to write a letter like this, is that we don't always feel that, do we? In fact, we often feel the opposite. We feel like wandering and worldliness is a good thing. It, It can feel like we're getting the best of both worlds. A bit of Jesus and a bit of the world. That sounds great. And it can seem even less dangerous when everybody else is doing the same thing, when no one's challenging us, when no one's even suggesting that we think about what we're doing and ask whether it's really the wise choice to make. But however comfortable or reasonable it might feel, James says to wander from the truth is to wander towards death. It's spiritual suicide. And that means if, if we see someone, a brother or sister, someone we love, moving further and further from the truth, well, obviously our job is to try and bring them back. That could be someone that you know really, really well. Someone that you've grown up with for years in the church. And so you think, oh, they'll be okay. It might be someone in life group that you can see making unwise choices. Or someone at church that you've noticed you just haven't seen for a while. Whoever it is, whatever they are doing, and James says our job is to do everything we can to help them see the danger of double-mindedness. And then to gently but firmly bring them back to the truth. And I know that these are Easy things to say, but much harder and often much more awkward to do. It's not really part of our culture or even our church culture to go and get ourselves involved in other people's lives. We can worry, can't we, that people will think we're a bit self-righteous or a little bit judgmental. Plus, if you're anything like me, then you tend to avoid conflict wherever possible. And so you just try and keep out of other people's business. But whatever our cultural reservation, whatever our personality type, James says you need the church and the church needs you. It needs you to get over your awkwardness. It needs you to accept the risks and to seek out and restore people who are wandering from the truth. Like I say, that of course needs to be done thoughtfully and carefully. It needs to be done with gentleness and respect and love, not, not out of arrogance or self-righteousness. 
We need to come to God and ask for the humility and the wisdom to do this. But the bottom line is we must do it. We must do it because in bringing a person, in bringing a person back to the truth, in bringing them back to the gospel, you're bringing them back to the only place, the only person who can cover over a multitude of sins. You see, as you call a person back to Jesus, you're calling them back to the one who can forgive their double-mindedness. You're calling them back to the one who has died so that they can have life rather than death. And so no matter how far someone has wandered from the truth, the gospel says there is always a way back to life. And that way back is by coming to Jesus. So how do we live the life of faith described in James's letter? How do we stay focused and keep persevering, keep going in the faith? How do we resist the wisdom of the world and wait patiently for Jesus to return? Well, those things are impossible for us to do by ourselves. But thankfully, God doesn't ask us to do them by ourselves. He's given us prayer. We can talk to him wherever and whenever, in the good times and in the hard times. And he delights to listen to us. He loves to answer us and give us what we need to live for him. And he's given us partnership. He's given us each other to help and encourage, to challenge and rebuke, to spur each other on and to confess our sins to each other and to keep doing those things until the day that Jesus comes back for us. The Christian life is not to be lived on our own. God has given us himself and he has given us each other. Let's help each other to keep persevering, to keep focused in the faith. Let's pray together. Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you don't ever call us to do the impossible. Father, when you call us, you do it all for us. By your grace, you have saved us. Through the death of your Son on the cross, you have taken the punishment that we deserve for our sins. You have made us alive with him and you have given us all that we need to live our lives for you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of prayer, the privilege and joy that it is to be able to talk to you each and every day, uh, to rejoice and to weep, to confess and to praise your name. And Father, we thank you for each other. We thank you for this church family here this evening, the people around us who know and love the Lord Jesus too. And we ask that you would help us to be an encouragement to each other, to help each other and spur each other on until the day the Lord Jesus returns. We pray that that all that we do might be for his glory. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.